0: Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at Keyword Voice America.
1: Now, no, no, no. it's the Ellis Martin Report. If you stay tuned, you'll hear expert insight, commentary, and potential financial opportunity. If you don't, you're just another chump in a cruel, unfeeling world. Is it strange that companies featured on this program have given us cash money to be portrayed here? No way. They want you to know what's going on. So get some on you, my babies. Some of the analyst segments are sponsored as well. Ellis Martin may have a financial position and issues mentioned on this program. Whatever. I'm telling you now, so you don't ask me later. If you're new to the show, your brain is probably still smallish. Don't freak out, though. We can fix it. Just listen to the show and catch us on the web at ellismartinreport.com. Here's the host of the Ellis Martin Report, Ellis Martin.
0: Welcome to this week's program. Today you'll hear from an internet company generating close to half a million dollars last quarter from advertising revenue tied to online forums. Crowdgather Incorporated, trading under the symbol CRWG. I'll talk to CrowdGather's Sanjay Sabnani. We have a sponsor that's producing gold in Mexico right now, Pan American Goldfields. I'll be speaking with Neil Maydell, and we'll discuss the strong management team in place to grow his company into a sizable player in the Sierra Madres. Pan American trades under the symbol MXOM. Lorne Woods of Sunset Cove Mining is in Lima, Peru, not far from their potential 100 million ounce silver project. Sunset Cove trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol SSM, I'll chat with the silver guru himself, money, metals, and mining expert, David Morgan, and we'll talk parabolic heights in the market yet to come for the metals. And join me for my weekly chat with Dudley Baker of thegreedyguru.com and preciousmetalswarrants.com. Lots of information and potential investment opportunity packed into today's show. Thanks for being here. Let's begin. In this segment, I'm speaking with Sanjay Sabnani the chairman and CEO of Crowdgather. Crowdgather trades on the OTC bulletin board under the symbol CRWG. Crowdgather has been building up a dynamic network of sites by consolidating one of the oldest and most robust group of online users, those that post on message boards and forums. Their goal is to create the world's best user experience for forum communities and world-class service offerings for forum owners with one of their properties being the popular Yuku.com, Mr. Sabnani is a serial entrepreneur and business strategist with a long-standing passion for the Internet and technology industries as well as online network community building. A seasoned executive previously with several publicly held companies, he's assisted in raising over $200 million in public equity financing for these companies, and we are pleased to have him on the Ellis Mart Report today. Sanjay, welcome back to the program.
2: Thanks, Ellis. Thanks for having me back
0: let's talk about the main business model of CrowdGather. i think it's in the name of the company what does crowd gather mean
2: yeah you pointed it out basically what we're doing is aggregating communities or online forums uh, as they're referred to and think of these as little crowds so we are gathering these little crowds and our goal is to put little crowds together into bigger crowds that it will appeal to advertisers who are pursuing a certain demographic so for instance We have a site called rapmusic.com. We have another one called sneakertalk.com. Combined, those two head up our urban lifestyle and hip-hop channel, which we will then bring in front of advertisers so that they can place their message in front of this audience that they desire. So in essence, CrowdGather is about taking lots of little micro-communities and stitching them together into bigger channels that advertisers can target an audience through.
0: Was rapmusic.com a website or forum that you built, or was it something that you acquired?
2: We acquired it about a year and a half ago, and it was interesting. The gentleman who sold it to us also had a t-shirt printing business. He had started a hip-hop site and another site that was also, I think, country music-related. And these were just ways for him to get in front of the folks that would order t-shirts from him. But the site took off and had a life of its own and turned into one of the leading communities in the hip-hop space. So he decided that he needed to focus on his t-shirt business and that we were better suited for him to hand over his forum to. Again, we're one of the only companies in this space that specializes in acquiring forums and specifically in the public markets, we're the only one that we're aware of that is publicly traded and focused purely on growth through the acquisition of forums. And it's been working out pretty great for us so far.
0: How are you finding these forums to acquire? What's the procedure for that?
2: You know, having spent a nice percentage of my life online, a lot of these sites that we end up owning are ones that I have bumped into, I've had friends that belong to, or I've been a member of for a long time. But to tell you the truth, the list of existing forums is so vast that we don't really see an end to the amount of deals that we can do and execute. With all things constant and with the growth rate and the high margin that we've enjoyed continuing, we use Google quite a bit. We go in and type in the subject, type in forum, or type in the brand of software to see what communities are out there. There are sites out there like bigboards.com that rank forums by size of traffic, audience. So there's many different resources. But the good news about CrowdGather is we've been doing this now for long enough To where almost every week we get inbound leads where people are asking us what we would pay them for their community, right? A lot of folks who want to ultimately get an exit, like the gentleman we bought rapmusic.com from, a lot of those folks, before they even get ready to sell, they want to start getting some information, finding out what we would pay, how we value things, what we value more, what we value less. In that process, We're wide open. I'm happy to take an email or a call from anyone in the business and give them advice. The great thing for us now, in the past, the conversation would be about whether or not someone could sell to us and whether or not we were willing to pay their asking price. The good news for us now is with the new technology that we've deployed, our ad exchange and marketplace under Addison.com, A-D-I-S-N.com, the Addison platform allows us now to take people whose sites we don't acquire, right, And turn them into partners where we can help sell their advertising for them without having to take over control of that site. We think this is a tremendous advantage because it allows us now to grow faster than we're able to by just investing our own capital and buying new properties. It gives us tremendous scale and lift. We've only just launched the marketplace, so it is very much in its earliest stages. It's in in a public beta testing right now, but we have very high hopes for it, and things have been working out great so far.
0: So you see yourself doing more partnerships ultimately and less acquisitions.
2: Yes, ultimately, you know, one cannot own every single site in the world, even though one would like to. (laughs) We realize there are limits, and so this allows us to grow beyond those limits. Even in the sites that we acquire, Ellis, you know, we try our best to be as hands-off as possible when it comes to the subject matter, right? We own the world's largest paintball-related site, pbnation.com. You know, I played paintball a few times 20-plus years ago when I was in college, That doesn't mean I have anything to contribute. So I just basically shut up, read the content, enjoy myself like a member, and leave the decisions to the volunteers who run those sites. Now, what we do focus on is the making money and keeping the customers happy part. Those are our jobs. Dealing with the content, deciding which trends are worth capitalizing on, which products or services the members enjoy the most. We let the members decide that
0: sort of stuff. So if I had a good idea for a forum, basically, I should develop it grow the membership, and then contact your company in terms of a potential acquisition?
2: Yes. At a certain point, when you get it big enough, we ask for traffic and revenue details, and we're able to, at that point, you know, make a determination as to what it's worth. A lot of folks also may decide that they want to have a forum. You know, not every forum is going to be something that you can actually exploit from a financial or commercial perspective. Right? You, know, you may have a study group of friends and you want to put together a discussion community. Well, it may be very valuable for your needs, but it may not be the best thing for an advertiser. At a certain point, though, when you have enough humans on your network, you can put together campaigns. So even if we had a lot of socially constructed groups, we know their age, we know where they're from, we know their demographics, and in certain instances, we know if they're educated, You know what level of education. So the more and more people we have on our network, the more and more inventory for advertisers we have in our exchange, the more and more different ways we can capitalize on this inventory, slicing it through sex, through age, through location, and more importantly, and most profitably, through subject matter, right? Advertisers will pay good premiums for targeted vertical advertising inventory. And that, in essence, is what we're doing and putting together.
0: What kind of feedback are you getting from your advertisers?
2: Very little. What a lot of people don't realize, while our numbers may seem impressive, you know, that we're about 180 million monthly page views, 18 million monthly unique visitors, what a lot of people don't see is that is very small in the world of the direct brand advertisers like Nike, etc. Nike, Coca-Cola, Pepsi... That would be fantastic if it was on one site, but in our case, that 180 million monthly page is split over hundreds of thousands of small communities. So what we're doing with our technology, with our new Addison platform, with the acquisitions we've done, is we're right now embarking on a journey to actually talking to advertisers the $2 or so in revenue run rate that we've achieved pretty much from scratch, that revenue run rate comes to us without having really talked to advertisers, without having direct sales as a function. That is all beginning now. We weren't able to do a lot of direct advertiser relationships simply because if an advertiser wanted to run their ad to, to all the video gamers, we couldn't have done that prior to the launch of the Addison Marketplace. If they wanted all of our moms or parents, we weren't able to target that specifically because the scale was too great and there were just not enough minutes in the day now with the Addison platform we can turn on vertical channels for an advertiser just with the snap of a finger and very easy deployment so it's really changed the entire paradigm we expect to talk to many more advertisers about it in the new year right now we just got it up and running basically by the end of October this is the first couple of weeks it's been operational. We're still getting the final kinks out of it, debugging it. But so far, the feedback has been great.
0: And what kind of revenue are you generating for being up just a short amount of time?
2: Our current annualized revenue, if you look at our last quarter, we did about 590000 So that was our biggest quarter ever. So you could say that we're roughly on a $2 million plus track in climbing. Prior to that, if you looked at the end of our last fiscal year, our year ended this April, so it's not that long ago. The April year that we completed was 1.9 million, but I think the most compelling statistic is not the revenues. I understand that that revenue number is still small. We're working on growing it. However, if you looked at that 1.9 million in revenues, you would notice in that earnings release or that 10K that 1.8 out of 1.9 million was gross profit. Okay, we run at over a 95% gross margin. So. As far as most companies are out there, you'll be hard-pressed to find a company that drops more to the bottom line of every dollar they bring in. We're not yet profitable. Our goal is with the cash that we have in the bank, our goal is to get to break even, and we believe that we have a good shot at doing that. We still have about, you know, nine, ten months' worth of capital in the bank. And revenues have been climbing. If you look back historically, you will see there has been an uptrend. Add $3 million in change in revenues up from two where we are now. We are break-even in a profitable company. So we see a lot of this stuff pretty much, you know, within grasping distance, and that's what we're focused on executing towards.
0: Well, with your current $0. $0.12 share price, there is definitely room for potential upward mobility. With regard to growing that shareholder base.
2: Yeah, I believe so. I mean, myself, some of my directors, you know, we have bought stock in the market. I actually started buying last year as the stock finally gave me an opportunity to do so. One of our largest institutional shareholders averaged down in the market and now owns 9% of the company. That's John Hancock. Business is good, and business, if it keeps growing, we expect good things in our future.
0: Sanjay, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. I look forward to visiting with you in person next week here in Los Angeles. Thanks for being on the program today.
2: Looking forward to it. It's always a pleasure, Ellis. Thank you.
0: I've been speaking with Sanjay Sabnani, the president of CrowdGather Incorporated. CrowdGather trades on the -the over-the-counter bulletin board under the symbol CRWG. Listen to this segment again on the podcast page of our website, ellismartinreport.com
3: want to make money in resource stocks stay informed with resource world magazine covering the latest developments in mining oil and gas and alternative energy subscribe now to save half off the newsstand price simply visit resourceworldmag.com or call 604-484-3800 or pick up the latest edition at select book and magazine outlets resource world magazine your insight into the world of resource investment
1: Subscribe to our news alerts. When one of our sponsor companies puts out some news, you'll know about it fast. Register at ellismartinreport.com.
0: That's ellismartinreport.com. Join me now for a conversation with Neil Maydell, the chairman of Pan American Goldfields, trading on the -the over-the-counter bulletin board under the symbol MXOM. Pan American Goldfields is a gold producer in the Sierra Madre Gold Belt of Chihuahua, Mexico, one of the world's most promising and underexploited areas. Mr. Maydell is a financier specializing in international resource projects. Previously, he was the Director of Business Development for Monas Petroleum. He's published analyses and assisted in financing of resource companies, including Ultra Petroleum, Velvet Exploration, and Monas Petroleum. Neil, welcome back to the program.
4: Thank you, Alice. It's great to be back.
0: You're a gold and silver producer in Mexico's Sierra Madres, and you've been in production for almost exactly two years now. How easy was it to get into production? How is that production expanding now and into the future?
4: Well, it was our partner at MRT Monero Rio Tinto that really put it into production. I would have to say that it was it was a slow start. It took them over a year to get the recoveries and the consistent rate of production. But for the past year, we've been producing at least 1,200 ounces gold equivalent every month.
0: And you're able to take this revenue and put it right back into the company, correct?
4: That's right. The revenue from it, we have an agreement with them. They spent about $6 million putting it into production, and this is a pilot operation. It's a fraction of what we plan to build it out to. This pilot operation, we get 35% of the net cash flow, which is, if we're doing 1,200 ounces per month, it nets out to probably around $1,000 an ounce that, and we get 35% of that. It's a pretty good deal for us.
0: Will it remain a pilot project for the foreseeable future?
4: Well, we have M3 of Tucson. It's the number one engineering firm uh, operating in, in Mexico. They've developed more than half new mines in Mexico over the last 20 years. They're doing a preliminary economic assessment for a much larger operation. For example, we're doing 600 tons a day right now. What they're looking at is building a new operation that was between six and 7,000 tons per day. So we have real, really big potential for expansion. And we should get the answer on that, that PEA should be completed in the next you know, four or five weeks.
0: How soon would it gear up to that kind of production, potentially?
4: Well, the next thing that occurs after a PA is a bankable feasibility study, and that's where you do the engineering, the costing, everything, the permitting, to the point where you can actually borrow, say, 60 or 70% to build the bigger operation. And the bankable feasibility study would probably take about a year, so... That would be next year. And then 2014, you'd spend a year building. So by 2015, we could conceivably be at our target of 100,000 ounces per year. And at today's prices and a $500 gold cost, that would net us about $80 million a year, which is a huge, huge change from what we're cash flowing right now. Well,
0: that's very substantial for a junior mining company, don't you think?
4: Well, that's why we took it over. We came in, I said we are the new board, and took it over precisely because we looked at it as a development play that had tremendous uh, potential for expansion. I think that's what people are seeing. I mean, it wasn't in production when we took it over, and now we're you know we're doing almost two thousand ounces a month.
0: Your board of directors brings a history of success to the company.
4: Probably one of the original key board members is George Young. He was the founder of International Royalty Corporation. Royal Gold just bought that out for three quarters of a billion dollars and George is the one who structured it put it together and developed the company he also was a co-founder with Peter McGaugh of Mag Silver which is another market darling it's been as high as 14 I think it trades around nine or ten dollars right now and it was you know a a penny stock just like this one when he got started so George is important he's a real entrepreneur and deal maker, and he's important to the board we also have the ex-president of Barrack Argentina He put together the Veladero project that's Barrick's biggest producing mine right now. Gary Parkinson is extremely important to the deal. He's an expert geologist. He's made two major discoveries in Mexico, and he's developing one of the largest undeveloped disseminated gold deposits in the world right now. It's more than half a billion ounces of silver and about 17 million ounces of gold. So really substantial people. We also have one of the top explorationists on the planet, Andre Konyakov. He was responsible for really moving polis, which is the third biggest gold company in the world, it was about 7th or 8th when he joined the company, and it's his discoveries, his brownfield discoveries, that have propelled it to number three, and that's more than 40 million ounces. So uh, really a substantial group of people behind this company now.
0: And you have a background as an analyst and a financial newsletter writer with successes in the past that led the way for more to come potentially with Pan-American goldfields.
4: Well, I, I spent the 90s as the mini-cap analyst, and uh, I have about fifteen thousand public and institutional subscribers. My team, we travel around the world looking at projects, so we rarely would write about something unless we'd actually been on the ground and looked at the mining project, or we looked at a lot of oil and gas projects. And we had some spectacular successes. Argentina Gold was a Lundin's; so we recommended that at pennies It's taken over after a thousand percent. Arequipa Resources, Kathleen McCloud's deal; it was a thirty-five or forty cent recommendation. It was bought out at thirty-two dollars. Corriente, eighty cents to twenty dollars. Ultra petroleum, I think forty to fifty cents. Ended up topping out at two hundred dollars. So the list goes on. We had considerable success, and basically what I've done is applied everything that I learned and observed over the last decade and a half in the nineties and, and 2000 to actually try to reflect it in Pan American gold fields.
0: So it's likely, but there's no guarantee, of course, that we can see some considerable upside with regard to your share price coming down the road.
4: Well, I mean, that's why we're here, and that's why I think I've managed to assemble this board. We all see tremendous growth potential and building value for our shareholders, and of course that should be reflected in the share price.
0: And of course, Mexico is one of the best mining environments in the world.
4: Well, I, I think it's rated as the best place to do mining business in the world right now. The government is very pro-mining the tax regime is easy and reasonable. There's no royalty. it's just 30% tax on income. And in terms of permitting everything where we are, they understand mining and they move very fast. The last thing they want to do is lose jobs because they didn't approve something. And so they're very reasonable. We operate according to North American standards. So we found the regulatory regime, the tax regime, and the actual ability to hire really quality employees, very, very good in that area. It's, you know, it's a long mining history and there's a considerable workforce there. So all those key ingredients are there. And then on top of that, of course, there's the gold and the silver. There's there's a lot of it. It's a very prolific area, and the infrastructure is available. So um, you have all those key ingredients to build a company.
0: Now the name of your company is Pan American, and that would signify that you have other holdings in Latin America. You do?
4: We do. We have a project in Argentina. It's a very high impact, high risk project. It's not a priority. In fact, Edison, it's a London research firm, did a a report on us and they gave us fair value, you know, according to our peer group, that we should be at 45 cents a share. So rather than the 11 cents we're trading at right now. And they do that solely based on the resource at the Cine Gita, giving no value to anything else. I think that's the thing investors should keep in mind. I'm very skeptical when it comes to exploration projects because most of them don't work out. This is a very economic, high-impact project in Argentina, but it's not the reason to own the company. I think the reason is the development and the expansion of the seniority to mine.
0: Talk about that share structure, if you will.
4: Well, we have uh, 93 million shares out, and about, I think the last calculation was that 38% of it was owned by institutions and funds like the Sierra Nevada Gold Fund, Vortex Capital, which is partially owned by Franco Nevada founder, Pierre Lasson, Hotchinger Bank, Paris. You even have uh, Mr. Novella. He's uh, Emilio Novella. He's on the uh, board of BlackRock. So really serious shareholders have come into the company since we took it over. And the management itself and shares, options, warrants has a call on about 22%. The company. So it was a big float, but the, uh, the actual shareholders are very substantial,
0: very sophisticated. Well, Neil, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. I look forward to sitting down across the table from you when you make your way to Los Angeles.
4: Yes, Alice. I'm looking forward to uh, seeing you next
0: week. I've been speaking with Neil Maydell, the chairman of Pan American Goldfields, trading on the OTC bulletin board under the symbol MXOM. Listen to the segment again on the podcast page of our website, Ellis Martin Report. Contact our sponsor companies directly. They're on the homepage of our website,
1: ellismartinreport.com. That's ellismartinreport.com. Once again, here's Ellis Martin.
0: Join me now for a conversation with Lorne Woods, President and CEO of Sunset Cove Mining, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol SSM.V. Sunset Cove Mining is a project generator operating northwest of Lima, in Peru the number one silver country in the world. Sunset Cove's Carole Silver property is in a long time historic mining area. Lauren, welcome back to the
3: program. Thank you Ellis, I'm looking forward to bringing people up to date on what we're doing at Sunset Cove. Now you're
0: down in Lima, Peru as we speak, just a few hours away from the Caroleil project. A news release came out on November 21st stating that you've discovered high grades of silver in the Maria structure.
3: Yes we have, it's proving through assay work some exploration that we had done earlier this summer. I had visited the property with our qualified professional who will be preparing a 43-101 resource calculation for us. And using surface exploration tools, a machine called the XRF, we were getting grades like this of over a 1,000 grams per ton at surface. What these results are from channel samples that we've done on the Maria structure to allow us to get more knowledge on what's going on, but also to start putting together an understanding of how important the Maria structure is to the overall uh, mineralization of the Caroly property.
0: If you're getting that kind of grade at surface, who knows what's underneath?
3: That's right. At surface, things have been exposed to erosion and time and sun and water, etc. Underground, we expect to be able to come up with maybe not similar numbers, but numbers that would more reflect the underground numbers that we have previously on a property from the Carolai vein as well as the Caroly 4 vein.
0: The Carolai vein, it's just the beginning of a pop- Possible large underground structure? Then
3: yes, the Caroline One vein has a an existing uh, adit, which is a basically a gallery into the side of the mountain that's over 230 meters in length that we had sampled as part of our 43101 report at over 269 grams per ton, with the understanding that that is. The remnants of the adit, basically the company that had done the work earlier, whenever that was, they had mined out all of the high-grade stuff, which is very promising to us. It means that if we were to get into the real Carly vein or Carly Four vein, we should be seeing numbers that are significantly higher.
0: I understand you may have some more news coming out very shortly. What can we expect?
3: We should have a news release next week. We've been doing a lot of surface sampling and mapping of the property, and my geologists are working on something for us right now. If it comes out next week. It's it should be early in the week, and it's just a confirmation of what we believe the Caroline vein structure has in the way of size. But going back to the Maria structure the news release of last week, the importance of that is we believe that hundreds of millions of years ago when the Earth was formed, the mineralization that is found in the Maria structure ran over wider lengths than the higher up. Caroline vein up top is between one to two meters wide, whereas the Maria structure is eight meters within the past two or three news releases, we've announced the Lindsay structure, which was 27 meters wide, and also the MyLin and MyLin1 veins, which are mantos, which are basically veins that have been turn flat. They are about three meters wide but 130 meters in length and they're all carrying uh, significant silver indications in the mineralization of the rock as well as the assay results that we're getting.
0: Any speculation as to what you think you may have?
3: In our discussions internally as well as our discussions with the qualified professional we hope to be able to prove somewhere in the range of over a hundred million ounces of silver within the next 12 months.
0: Now are you a project generator or are you going to take Caroline into production yourself in the future?
3: No we think uh, of ourselves along the lines of a project generator, we think also that the best return for our shareholders is as a project generator. Mark, Blay and myself like to think of ourselves as investors. As we are, we own over 10% of the company, and the best return for the investor is in expiration and being able to identify an ore body and then and sell it off to a producer.
0: So essentially, your costs are primarily dedicated to proving out the resource itself and remaining as frugal as possible with what you have in the bank.
3: Yes, I mean, the idea is that we invest as as little money as possible to allow us to prove up a resource. The interesting thing about Peru is because of the nature of the topography and the fact that Peruvian miners use adits uh, into the side of the mountain, which allows them to follow the vein and allows us to actually get a 3D image of the vein, you can invest your money better by doing a small bulk sample, for example, in any of the adits that we have that would give us a better return on investment and give us more information than drilling 300 or 400-meter holes to cross a structure that's 2 meters wide, and you've spent half a million dollars or $600,000 for basically information on 2 meters. Whereas if you were to do a small bulk sample, you would get an awful lot more information, and you'd have information on the ore.
0: Some of the majors in the area, like Barrick, Newmont, or Pan-American, might be good potential candidates or partners to take this project out down the road.
3: Well, definitely. I mean, we are surrounded by a number of actual gold producers both international companies like Barrick as well as Peruvian companies who would be interested in the property. Working in Peru, as you mentioned, is Pan American Silver as well as Fortuna Silver. There are a number of opportunities for us to find a joint venture partner or an eventual purchaser of the property. And the idea is that over the next 12 months, as we prove up the ounces in the ground that we think we have, that we'll start those discussions and maybe by 2014, the property will be in somebody else's hands.
0: Talk about this attractive share structure with the stock at about $0.06. Well,
3: you know, I mean, it's hitting the low or the bottom that everybody else has hit, and the bottom just keeps moving lower. Unfortunately, we still haven't hit the bottom. Right now, in Canada, you've got tax loss selling, and you've got people investing in flow-throughs, which are just tax policies, taking advantage of tax policies. In Peru, we've got strong support. We have over half of our shares traded on the Lima Stock Exchange. The reason why we're in Lima right now, there's a large convention of companies who are exhibiting to potential investors and current investors. And we have arranged over the next 10 days a number of meetings with our investors to make sure that they understand the information that the press releases can only say so much before they turn into uh, long stories that don't necessarily give the right impression.
0: What can we expect from the company 12 months down the road, Lauren?
3: We will have a 43-101 resource calculation on a significant part of the property that will allow us to feel comfortable that we have more than 100 million ounces of silver. We will see some very strong exploration results. We will see strong drilling results. And getting back to what I said a little bit earlier, the advantage of the underground is you don't have to do as much drilling, which is costly. You can do the, as I said, bulk samples from underground.
0: Well, Lauren, it's always a pleasure visiting with you. I look forward to speaking with you after your next news release. Thanks for joining me today on the program.
3: Well, I'm very happy to uh, participate again. And, Ellis, and obviously people can go to our website. Uh, we have a very thorough website. We've got a very strong section on silver, and, as you said, it's uh, uses. And I think that anybody who's looking for information on Sunset Cove will be happy to have gone there and received all the information that we have.
0: And that website is sunsetcovemining.com. There's also a banner and a link to your website on the homepage of our website, ellismartinreport.com. Thanks again, Lauren. Thank you. I've been speaking with Lorne Woods, president of Sunset Cove Mining, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol SSM.V. I'm Ellis Martin. Hey, this is Cool Voice Guy. Would you like to hear all of that again? Go to the podcast page of our
1: website. That's EllisMartinReport.com. EllisMartinReport.com. Otherwise known as EllisMartinReport.com.
0: The following segment is sponsored by El Tigre Silver Corp., trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol ELS.V, and on the OTCQX as EGRTF. El Tigre Silver Corp. is focused on silver exploration and development in prolific Sonora State, Mexico. Find them on the web at ElTigreSilverCorp.com. Join me for a conversation with a frequent guest of the show, David Morgan, the silver guru an expert on money, metals, and mining, also a lecturer and an author. Mr. Morgan has written Get the Skinny on Silver Investing, available on Amazon.com. His website is MorganReport.com. David, welcome back to the program. Well, it's good to be with you. We saw a sell-off a couple of days ago in gold, and it looks like it's recovering. Silver had a similar downward dip and perhaps not as severe. Silver is less speculative and more of a safe bet than perhaps risking in gold currently. What are your thoughts?
5: I think it's actually, percentage-wise, I'm not certain. I'm both sold off. I think actually, percentage-wise, maybe silver did a little more. I mean, basically, on the open, silver open in New York, silver was trading around 33.80, and it dropped all the way to 32.80. Just. Almost within a cat's whisker that so it dropped to almost a dollar. I think it's ninety five cents, and then it bounced back up to about thirty three sixty, and closed the New York market somewhere like thirty three seventy three or something like that. So the point being is, it really sold off sharply. It recovered rather almost sharply, and today uh, as we're doing this interview, we have recovered. I think just about everything, and gold as well. So what this tells me is that this sell off, orchestrated or not. and can make the argument orchestrated. And the reason I say that with a lot of confidence is it was options expiration. I've got on record as saying you can set your watch with options expiration, meaning that you always see this kind of wild gyration on options expiration because the professionals usually win. They're usually short options, meaning expecting the price to come down. They can maneuver the price down to capture profits, and then the price can either remain down or continue down or can do anything it can come back up but to me it's a typical options expiry gyration greater than some we've seen recently and it's all part of what goes on in these futures markets especially i'd say in the precious metals markets and
0: goldens when that began to happen did you see it for what you stated it was
5: Yeah, it wasn't a surprise to me as, you know, Ellis, I've been in, in the commodity sector but primarily focused on the precious metals for most of my life, and I've seen this option situation again and again and again, and so not a huge surprise to me, no.
0: Do you take advantage of these big dips as they're happening, or is it something that you just sit out completely?
5: depends. I'm not a day trader. I'm actually not that good at it. I'm pretty confident in my skill level on swing trade or position trading. I like to take a position and hold it for weeks or even months and make a lot of money rather than to try to bet that, you know, we caught a bottom at 33 and it's going to come up 70 cents, which of course would be a huge day trade. But no, I usually just let the dust settle, so to speak, and get in where I think the risk is, is less, even though the price might be higher.
0: And what about silver ETFs right now? How do you think they're trending?
5: Sideways. There doesn't seem to be as much interest in the, like the SLV and the GLD as there was when they first you know, came out and then for a couple of years subsequent to their initial issuance. I think that most of the players that are using the SLV and the GLD are in and out of the market and they use that as a trading vehicle. And there doesn't seem to be a lot of new interest in those markets. And I'm speaking specifically to those two, whereas if you look at some of the holding companies like, oh, for example, Central Fund of Canada or the PSLV, the Sprott Physical Silver Trust, they just keep accumulating, not on a weekly basis or even a monthly basis, but any given year, which is in offering, and they are filled or sometimes oversubscribed, and more physical metal comes off the market, which is, you know, one of the main points I have emphasized throughout the years is that the price setting mechanism is based on a paper price. It's basically really a theoretical price, but yet the physical metal does sell at those prices, give or take some kind of a variance. So what's happened is you have more physical demand, and that's what you really have to have a key to. We have seen the paper market setting the price, but ultimately the physical market sets the price. So this is something that you know no one can forecast exactly, but I think we're getting closer, pretty confident that the physical market is really tight in the silver market and in the gold market, and uh, these derivatives markets certainly move around a great deal, but I think the day of reckoning is coming sooner than later. It's certainly been you know a long ride from the early 2000s to 2012, 2013, but I don't see this continuing another decade. I think we've just got a few years at most ahead where the physical price and the derivatives prices are much different and this is going to be sort of the moment of awakening, you might say, for people that do not really look at these markets or the metals markets very much. They're going to see why is this discrepancy here, you know, what's going on, and whether the mainstream financial press picks up on it or not, we'll have to wait and see.
0: We'll be right back. The Yellow Martin Report is sponsored by LT Grey Silver Corp., trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol ELS.V and on the OTCQX as EGRTF silver has been considered a precious metal for 6,000 years and currency since 600 B.C. It's been commercially mined in Mexico since 1530 in mineral prolific and mining friendly Sonora State where El Tigre Silver Corp's 5,000 meter drill program is now underway. El Tigre's properties with gold and silver mining concessions span approximately 267 square miles. With an attractive share structure and a strong proven management team, El Tigre Silver Corp is poised to identify a resource in an area that from 1903 to 1938 produced 75 million ounces of silver and 380,000 ounces of gold. Additionally, their tailing stockpile is currently progressing to production. Learn more about El Tigre Silver Corp. by visiting their website, eltigresilvercorp.com, or click through El Tigre's logo on the homepage of our website, ellismartinreport.com.
1: We offer expert opinions only. Find them on our website, ellismartinreport.com. That's ellismartinreport.com.
0: And we're back. Do you see any parabolic rises in silver coming? And if you did, would you advise your subscribers to take advantage of them as selling opportunities?
5: I don't see any parabolic rise in silver soon. I don't see it by the end of this year. We might get a mini one in the first quarter of 2013, but that wouldn't be enough to get me that excited. But there will be one. There'll be one, I believe, that will make the 1980 market look tame. Time will tell if I'm right. And that move is hard to forecast. I'm thinking somewhere between 2014, 2016. But I think that move in silver and gold, particularly in silver, is going to go into the record books. It's going to be something that's phenomenal. And the reason for it is many bold, many faceted, but primarily it's going to be one, what I just discussed, the physical supply is going to be way too small to meet the physical demand. So that will be the primary driver. Then on top of that, you will have the industrial usage problem. That means that people that just in time inventory like Dow Chemical and all the auto manufacturers and a lot of the electronics manufacturers are gonna say, oh my goodness, silver's hard to get and if we don't have it, we're out of business. So they'll be rushing in at the same time investors are rushing in. So that's a compounded situation. And then lastly, the Momo traders and the Momo traders are the momentum traders. So they'll run into the derivatives they don't really care about the physical market. but they see something moving that much, they will add in demand pressure from the paper side. So you'll have all these demands coming in at one time. And what the exchange does will be interesting to see. Regardless of what the exchange does, there's always demand for the physical. And that will, command, I think, separate from the derivatives price. And this is where you see what the real demand for silver is in the physical form, regardless of what the derivatives markets are showing.
0: Given what you're suggesting is coming, one might want to take new positions in some of the junior mining stocks, especially silver companies.
5: Yeah, I think the stocks will really be the place to be. The metal, of course, would be very good. But I think the stocks will be the safest and the best risk-to-reward ratio and biggest gains. And I'm also going to ask a question to myself because I think it bears on what I'm saying and maybe can make it more succinct. Uh, I just started a new web page on our website, silver-investor.com, and what I say in there is one of the most important points that 90% of the move comes in the last 10% of the time. And that's the idea. It might be 70% of the move, and it might be in the last 12% of the time. But point is very simple and that is if you look back in history in 1979 silver started the year 79 at about six dollars and a year later in january 1980 it was fifty dollars so that's the kind of move i expect silver to make now whether or not it goes up eightfold in one year or not i don't know what i am suggesting and very much think will happen again, is that this market, meaning the precious metals markets, both gold, silver, platinum, palladium for that matter, are going to get in that parabolic move that you asked me about. And it is gonna be the big one. It's gonna be really, really big because the demand is gonna be astronomical. It's gonna be a world demand, not just US demand. It's going to be for physical in a lot of ways. And it is gonna be something that I don't think the demand can be met. So that means that the price is going to decide who gets it and who doesn't, and we'll see. You know, I certainly can look at this in a way that you know try to be objective. Obviously, I'm biased toward the monetary situation at hand. I mean, the reality is that we're in a debt-based monetary system. They've never worked. They always have problems. They always get to an end point, and the way they end is usually not pretty. And we are close to that. And again, when that happens exactly, I don't know. I think we've got a couple of years left. And then I think it's Katie bar the door because it's going to be a free for all in the monetary markets. Now, I don't think it's going to be forever. I don't think silver and gold are the place to stay forever in a day. I think that silver and gold will get overvalued, not necessarily in paper terms, although you could think of it in those terms, but primarily in, in their purchasing power. When an ounce of gold buys an astronomical amount of goods and services, then it's time to take an objective look and say, I made this investment, and what can I use with this investment to buy a a different investment? It's time to cash out. And that day is ahead. I really, really believe that. The problem I have currently, and especially at the time, is where do we go? But I'm thinking of that now, and there's always opportunities out there, even in, you know, Great Depression, there were opportunities. In fact, there were a lot of millionaires that came out of the Great Depression, because these are people that were able to think outside the box and supply the market with something that was needed, and they did very well. So I don't really let the financial conditions put me in a place where I get all that concern. I mean, certainly there's concern, but not overly, I think you have to stay grounded and objective no matter what the current weather conditions are
0: and you always manage to do so david as always i've enjoyed our conversation i look forward to speaking with you again in the near future thanks for joining me today on the program my pleasure thank you i've been chatting with metals mining and money expert david morgan his website is the Morganreport.com. listen to the segment again on the podcast page of our website ellismartinreport.com this segment has been sponsored by lt gray silver corp trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol ELS.V and on the OTCQX as EGRTF. El Tigre Silver Corp. is focused on silver exploration and development in prolific Sonora State, Mexico. Find them on the web at ElTigreSilverCorp.com.
1: Do you have questions that need answers about our sponsor companies? Contact them. Find the logos of all our sponsors on the homepage of our website. Click on them and learn more about our client companies. EllisMartinReport.com. The following segment is sponsored by Expedition Mining, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol EXU.V. Expedition has two dynamic gold projects in the Yukon and three in Nevada. Find them at ExpeditionMining.com.
0: Dudley Baker is the editor of PreciousMetalsWarrants.com. Mr. Baker has 35 years of accumulated knowledge and experience in trading stocks, options, leaps, futures, options on futures, and warrants. In March 2005, he founded and launched a new investment market data service, Precious Metals Warrants, which provides detail on all mining and energy company warrants trading on the U.S. and Canadian exchanges. As part of his service, he provides insights as to when insiders are buying and selling and issues buy and sell recommendations based on his research. Dudley, welcome back to the program. Good to be here, Ellis. We just had a significant sell-off in gold, one which no one could necessarily predict, gold is recovering today but it's certainly hard not to be nervous
6: well i guess we're all just in this business stay a little bit nervous don't we we never know what the next day holds for us i was really surprised as well it looked like we were going to be holding definitely in this uh, seventeen thirty range and uh... then what i read is just a massive block in the futures market somebody just dumps a massive amount of contracts and we just plunge within less than one minute we all kind of hate to you'll play off of all this conspiracy stuff but the deal is why would an educated seller try to sell this many contracts at one time plunging the market it could not be good for the seller unless they have other alternatives being lower prices for gold. I I normally never go there with the conspiracy theories, but it it does make you wonder. Now, I'd like to think, uh, and and we'll know in the coming days or or weeks here, I'd like to think that maybe this was the final cleanse before we can really get the rally started once again.
0: There was some talk that this was somehow tied to a recovering economy or dollar. Could this be connected to that somehow?
6: Yeah, but, but you know, everybody always talks about the dollar strong. I'm just taking a look right here. And I mean, literally, we're talking the dollar was up four ticks, four hundredths of a percent, so we're at 80.29 right down the U.S. dollar index. I mean, basically, it's going nowhere. So this was nothing to do, in my opinion, about a playoff the U.S. dollar. This was just, you know, some kind of strange activity that took place here in the gold market. Now, I think net, the shares did not do well, but the shares held up rather well in the face of this 20-some-odd dollar plunge, and at one time over $30 plunge in gold. So I still think that, good chance that the lows are in place. And that we're really close to uh, to getting the show on the road. You know, ob- obviously we were, several of us were probably excited when we saw gold close, uh, you know, last Friday over 1750, and we're thinking that you know we've got some good times coming here until the end of the year. So I'm I'm never happy to see this setback right now, but I still think there's a good chance we can have some good rally attempts here to the end of the year. What I think right now all of us have to realize is that particularly the small companies, the low-priced companies, are really getting killed. We're in tax-loss selling season, and this is going to go up to the last day of the year. So some of these can really get pounded here. And some of them are so cheap already, it is a matter if you do have some cash... How do you keep that powder dry till the last moment? Nobody knows. I mean, if something's selling at $0.10, cents, whether it's going to plunge and you're going to be able to get it for a nickel or $0.04. Cents. But it would be a time maybe to wisely put in just the stink bids that they call it, you know, put the orders on the books. You may be surprised at what you get this year. I'm always looking for opportunities for myself and for my subscribers. Some of these I can't hardly believe are going to go much lower. How low is low sometimes?
2: We'll
0: be right back.
1: The Ellis Martin Report is sponsored by Expedition Mining, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol EXU.V. Expedition has assets in the Yukon Territory as well as Nevada. Over 12.5 million ounces of gold have been produced from the Yukon since 1896, with a present-day worth of approximately $15.6 billion, and the territory is still relatively unexplored. Many of the known mineral occurrences are yet to be thoroughly investigated with modern exploration technologies. Expedition has recently begun its Joy and Mount Mervin projects. These properties are located along the Rackland, Gold Belt in the Yukon. In Nevada, Expedition Mining has 100% interest in three gold exploration properties located within the Walker Lane Mineral Belt. Like the Yukon, Nevada is one of the top 10 jurisdictions worldwide for encouraging mining investment. Nevada hosts many world-class gold deposits being exploited by major mining companies. With a strong management team, cash in the bank, and potentially prolific resources in the Yukon and Nevada, Expedition Mining is well-positioned for upward momentum in the resource sector. Visit
0: their website, expeditionmining.com. And we're back. When a speed bump like this comes along, typically, what do you do? Nothing? Or do you look for opportunities?
6: Most of the day, three quarters of the day, I'm sitting looking at the computer screen. I'm looking at news. I'm looking, and not for anything really specific, but where literally I'm watching, oh, 100, 200 companies. You know, whether I own them or not, but I'm I'm looking for news. I'm looking for something that may be happening. And you're always within this whole 200 stocks looking for opportunities if you do not own them, especially in plunging market. I'm a guy that when I look at a price chart and I look at where I want to buy it, I want to be in about as low as I can possibly be. You know, I just hate to buy something after it's, you know, up 50 100%, 200%. I mean, to me, that's just, not that it may still not have a lot of upside potential, but me, I just love to think that I'm searching for those opportunities where i and my subscribers can get in really low and capture you know most of the entire ride you know like today i I did not do anything yesterday i actually picked up uh, increased my position in a little gold stock you know it was just a minor position i previously had so kind of topped off that position sure it dropped about two pennies it was probably in the 26, 27 cent range when I bought it. It came back to about 24 cents today, 24, 25. So, you know, you can't worry about a couple of pennies here or there. By no means, I don't have the holy grail to know where the low is for any given, you know, share price on a company. We just all have to decide, do we want to be a trader? Do we want to be an investor? I want to be an investor. I have no good feel for being a trader, don't want to be there, and I don't think most of us really are. We're not all wired to be traders. So much anxiety uh, on the table and everything. Find a company you're comfortable with. You want to feel like you're buying it at a very reasonable price, and then be patient. I know our good days are right in front of us. We keep getting whipsawed with days like today. It's like uh, somebody's just trying to shake us all out of positions. This is when you truly want to, you know, have, let say, as little leverage as possible. You don't want to be buying stocks on margin. You don't want to have to worry about this and maybe being shook out of your position one way or the other. You know, have a cash account. Whatever you own, you've paid for with cash. Nobody's going to shake you out of your position. So. Take a deep breath, have firm convictions of where you think these markets are going, and just enjoy the ride because it's going to be a fun time right here in front of us.
0: What are some of the questions that you're getting from your subscribers right now?
6: I'm not getting a lot of questions, and that doesn't necessarily mean that everybody's happy. I mean, I think more often than not is they're asking Dudley, where can we find this information (laughs) on your website? I had a subscriber yesterday that said, Dudley, you've got a mining analyst now doing some write-ups on some of the companies. And he said, I can't find it. Can you find it on your website? I just picked up the phone and I and I call this subscriber. Actually, he happens to be cl- really close to my old home outside of San Antonio. He's actually it was sitting in Wimberley, Texas. And so we had a really nice conversation and I told him exactly you know, where this information was and we had a, a really nice chit chat. But net net, I'd like to think at this point, my subscribers that have been with me for a long time, they pretty much know my views. I know I've got a lot of really savvy people. They subscribe not only to me but maybe some other people. They've got the big macro picture of the world. They are very comfortable that we are strategically positioned in the gold market and with our shares. Yes, we all want to be rich yesterday, but we need a little more patience here. And so I think my guys really realize this. Virtually all the feedback I get is positive as to what we're doing for our subscribers and our services.
0: And you've got two services, thegreedyguru.com and preciousmetalswarrants.com.
6: Yeah, both with a little different methodology. Of course, the Greedy Guru, you know, we can also just call that the top picks of the pros of the professional investors because we follow, oh gosh, roughly 25 different newsletters that we've got access to. So basically, we know what everybody's doing through that Greedy Guru service. And it's just a, a filtering process. Basically, we filtered all of the junior resource stocks and then the 25 analysts that are following them, and worked our way down to a number that is really sitting on about 20 companies. It's pretty cool how this filtering process works. So to make the final cut, they've got to have at least a bare minimum of three newsletters, analysts, following that given company. And then we put another final spin as to what the heck are the insiders doing on those companies. So we don't necessarily go and just rubber stamp what three other analysts are doing. You know, the greedy groover makes the final decision. Do we want to say it's a buy or do we want to still place a hold on that given company? So we've got a couple of those, of three or more analysts recommending, but we want to say there's two that we still have a hold on. So totally different methodology. Really, really simple for anybody new in the business, you know, looking for some opportunities and of course the tried and true service the precious metals warrants.com started that back in march of 05 so i've been around a long time very comfortable with this all of the warrants trading on the natural resource stocks everybody gets to see my entire portfolio including the warrants we started with our service being a warrant service but my personal portfolio 25% of the value is in long-term warrants begging the question well Dudley where's the rest of your money what's the other 75% it is still in the natural resource resource sector, but it's in the common shares. It's in a lot of the juniors and the exploration companies, which I have a whole bunch. So this is what I love to focus on, is the juniors, and love to be looking for opportunities all the time. And this is what subscribers get to see in my personal portfolio, is everything all nice, neat, and organized, an audio every Thursday, uh, where I get to chit-chat about any of the companies, any given news, etc. So that's a fun process. And Of course, we just love to follow the insider trading activity on all the stocks. So if I'm tracking 200 companies, I'm looking at the insider activity on all 200-plus companies.
0: Well, Dudley, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. I look forward to another conversation again with you real soon.
6: Yeah, let's hope so. Okay, enjoy. Thank you.
0: I've been chatting with Dudley Baker of PreciousMetalsWarrants.com and TheGreedyGuru.com. Listen to this segment again on the podcast page of our website, EllisMartinReport.com.
1: This segment has been sponsored by Expedition Mining, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol EXU.V. Expedition has two dynamic gold projects in the Yukon and three in Nevada. Find them at ExpeditionMining.com. Join us next time for the Ellis Martin Report. Remember, this is actually one of those paid programs where companies and individuals pay us to let you hear all about themselves. Then they run right back to work and get jiggy with getting busy. Remember, invest at your own risk. Get more of these powerful programs free on the web at ellismartinreport.com. For Ellis Martin, this is Cool Voice Guy. Ciao, babies.
3: Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel.